Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. This is episode four of the Going Deeper podcast. And this week, we're talking about the six types of responses people have to the crucifixion of Christ in Mark 15, 6 through 41. We'll also talk a little bit about how to know which disposition we might have before the cross and how to move into being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And thank you for joining us as we go deeper. This week, I am again visited with Pastor Will. Uh, thank you for your time. We, we spent Sunday morning in Mark 15, 6 through 41, and we spent that time looking at six uh, dispositions you're going to have before the cross, and that was the, the effort Mark put into having these people. He wanted you to recognize the, the different types of people and how they're understanding the cross. Um, so, Pastor Will, could you recap for us the six positions, and then we will get into the question this week. That's good. Thank you. Yep, and great to have you with us, listeners. Um, so our six, our six different types of responses, reactions to the cross that we looked at on Sunday were, uh, number one, ambivalence. So that was the example of Pontius Pilate um, wanting to wash his hands and really just would have preferred not to have had to deal with Jesus at all. Um, number two, derision, uh, responding with derision. So mockery, scoffing, um, yeah, hostility towards the gospel. That's the, the chief priest, the other thieves on the crosses beside him, um, the passers-by, uh, the soldiers are all deriding Jesus and the cross. Number three was supporters. That was Simon of Cyrene in verse 21 there, um, where he's... He's uh, pushed into to service and helping Jesus by the soldiers, and we're really not told whether he was a, you know, sympathetic to Jesus' cause or or, or anything. Um, but he he does play a supporting role at least. Um, number four is spectator, so that's the the other uh, sort of bystanders at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying, who are spectating and and watching on and. Um, speculating about uh, whether Elijah is going to come help Jesus or not, and they're there almost to be entertained. Uh, number five was fifth type of reaction is the acknowledger, so uh, responding with acknowledgement. That's the centurion of verse 39 who uh, says, "Truly, this man was the son of God." He makes a statement of fact, um, but we're not sure whether it's a statement of faith. Um, you know, he doesn't say anything about my Lord and my God. Um, uh, and then the sixth and final um, one that we're working up to and that we're striving to, to embrace, embody, to pursue as devotees and followers of Jesus is 
uh, devoted. Um, we respond to the cross with devotion. That's the, the women in verses 40 and 41. And then Joseph of Arimathea in verses 42 through 47. Um, so those are the six kind of textual reactions that we see um, to, the, to the cross. And then we just want to go through each and um, help help you help us unpack you know what what would it look like to respond in turn as each one of those practically um today and so yeah how do you how do you identify like how how do i know for sure like which of these six i am yeah so the the question is um after you after hearing through all the six kind of dispositions of the people that they're going to have um or the six types of people in the Mark Markin story, um, in fifteen six through forty one, it's probably really really easy to think that you have, at one point in your life, and it's true for me, have fallen into any of those categories. Yeah. Like I've, there have been times in my life where I have not been a fan of the cross. Yeah. There have been times in my life that I am, even as a pastor at a church, more devoted to Jesus than maybe I am now, yeah. and I could always be better. Um, but so the question that actually comes from a member of the congregation uh, this week, which is incredible, thank you for asking questions, yeah. is how do we know where we're at? What's the metric? Yeah. Or how do we know if we're in uh, in derision? Or how yeah. do we know if we're a supporter and we're not devoted? So that's the question that we're going to be unpacking this week. And Pastor Will, we're going to walk through those one at a time and... Yeah, that's it. Let's do it. So I think the, the first point I want to make follows up on something you just said, Donnie, which I think is really helpful. You know, one of the ways that I think you can kind of know um, which of these six you are is uh, for, for a lot of us, we feel like we've we've sort of typified one of these six responses or maybe each multiple or, or maybe even every single one, each, each of these six responses at different periods of time in our life. I know that's certainly true of me. That made it easier for me to write this sermon. I, I try not to, you know, eisegesis is when we read ourselves into the text. We're, we're trying to do exegesis and let the text speak from itself to us. And so I, I just sat down and, and read and sat with the text, prayed, meditated, felt like this outline was jumping out to me, but it's it just so happens. It's really nice that as these six different reactions to the cross jumped out to me, I could then begin to actually uh, think about how to apply these to, to people today. And it, it was <laughs> unfortunate, but also fortunate from the standpoint of preaching a sermon that I do, like you, I feel like I can, I can, I can identify with each of these six at different periods of my life. So yeah. one of the things for me as I was preparing the sermon, writing it, was I was thinking back to that period of time for me and what was that reaction? What did it feel like to me? Um, another thing that's sometimes helpful for me, you have to be careful with, but you know, I'll, I'll just be honest. I had specific people, once I had these categories from Scripture, you know, from these characters, from Pilate, from the, the chief priest, once I had the, char- the, 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 the outline of the six ready, I started thinking about application, and I, I started to see faces of people standing out to me from my life currently who I would say very clearly fall into this camp, that camp of, of these six reactions. And so I was almost, and again, got to be careful with it, but I'm almost writing on this particular point when I'm, I'm thinking about this, you know, what to write in my sermon manuscript, I'm writing to that, 
that person to that speaking to that specific concern. Um, but I want to make it really practical for all of us. And so in terms of, you know, identifying for you, which, which of these six am I in? I want to, I want to make it so practical and tangible that I want to literally give you physiological symptoms that I think will probably nine times out of 10 accompany each of these six uh, responses to the cross. So when you think about the cross or God or Jesus or, or these words come up in conversation, Jesus, faith, religion, um, the gospel, things like that, what, it, what is that conversation do to you internally? And so I think that might actually be a really practical way of helping people diagnose their spiritual condition because we know this stuff is all connected, you know, mind, body, spirit. It's all, you know, we're a holistic human being. And so whatever's going on in our spirit, there's something else going on in our heart and our, and our bodies at the same time. So I'll start with the first one, ambivalence. How do I know if I am, you know, an ambivalent uh, person when it comes to Jesus the cross. I think to me, um, the way you know that is um, when these words like uh, God, Jesus, faith, religion come up, one of two things happens um, for you. Uh, And maybe I should just Real quick recap the definition of ambivalence that Donnie's pulling it up on his computer. Probably good. State of having mixed feelings or contradictory ideas about something or someone. So I think, I think you know, the, the, the two, you know, there could be one of two physiological responses that accompany here. Um, either uh, absolutely nothing happens to, for you physiologically when um, people bring up, God, Jesus, in conversation because you're you don't have an opinion. You you don't care. I mean, it's like uh, discussing the weather. Um, or, and I, I would say more frequently in my experience with people, um, when topics of faith come up in conversation, your blood pressure goes through the roof, and you're but it's because you're thinking, oh my gosh we got to change the topic as soon as possible. Yeah, like we have to get away from this. Like yes. It, this which is, is dangerous territory. I don't, because I don't have my mind made up on this and because I know it's so important and because I know I should be spending more time uh, thinking yeah. about eternity and investing for eternity and, you know, why I'm here on earth and where I'm going when I die. All these, like, big picture questions. It's just so overwhelming, but I'd so much rather go back to, you know, social media, like Facebooking, um, that I just, yeah, I, I, I become overwhelmed and I would so much rather be distracted. So we got to change the topic and let's, can we just please agree to just talk about the Cardinals again? Yeah. And this is actually, this ambivalence is actually something the Bible would speak to that. Um, you can't be lukewarm when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Uh, Revelation three sixteen, the church of Laodicea, God or Jesus or John has some has some mixed words for them, and the problem is that there's really nobody there who's in stage six. There's not not a lot of true devoted people, and and John writes so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. This is what God and Jesus says. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Right. And the word for spit famously translates more accurately to vomit. Um, so it's like, I'm going to expel you from my very being because yeah. you have not made a decision about me. It's, 
it's almost as if you're going through life thinking, oh, I'll just I'll make a choice when I can when, yep. I, when it when it comes up. Yeah, that is ambivalence. Yes, exactly. When you when you think if God is not paramount importance, yeah. He is of no importance. Right. That was yep. something we heard this Sunday. Yeah, Heschel. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, Father Abraham Heschel, and it's like, and I think. The, I think it has this cumulative effect of weighing on people too. It's like the more you realize how important this decision is to make a decision about Jesus, to make a decision about faith, to make a decision about what's of ultimate supreme importance to you, and the longer you intentionally delay that and push that off, it it does get built in to a bigger and bigger thing, and it becomes a, a thing that that um, you know maybe you 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 have to avoid at all costs even more, and so that the blood pressure spikes even more. So that's that's my physiological yeah, reaction to uh, from ambivalence. I mean that's where I've been with Jesus like oh I can I'll just make a decision later. When I was yep. in youth group and I was not a Christian, I was like if he's going to be around forever, then I have a bunch of time to make a decision. Yes. And I will just go on rolling. Very common. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let the, youth, sinning, let's let the youth pastor speak to ambivalence. <laughs> yeah, dude. The, I mean, you want a picture of ambivalence, come, come volunteer on Wednesday nights. That's yeah. right. They they just think that they have time to make a decision. Right. They have no idea that Christ is coming back. And it could yeah. be right now. And that they're going to die. And it could be tomorrow in a car accident. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and yeah. So... Usually, ambivalence is cured by the f- understanding that you're finite. Yeah. And I pray that if you're listening and you have, you're ambivalent, I pray that you would soon see that you're, you're going to die and you don't know when that is and yeah. you're pretty finite. And that the Lord, there is nobody in heaven yeah. who was ambivalent about Jesus. Well, and that's so true. I mean, I think, the re- again, the, t- the two biggest reasons that fuel, uh, things that fuel ambivalence in our society today are, number one, uh, like Donnie said, um, ins- insulation from, that's number two. Number one is insulation from our own mortality. So we have just yeah. outsourced and just hidden death at all costs from ourselves and our kids. And heaven forbid people know that that we're going to die. And secondly... Uh, I, I, yeah, so cure, absolutely. We, we need to be visiting graveyards, like take the youth group there. We need to be visiting nursing homes. I mean, seriously, like let people, like let kids come with you to put your pets to sleep. Like we need to, to let people know that, that their, their death is a real thing. And secondly, the, the second problem with ambivalence is um, distractions. I mean, we're just so darn distracted. Like you can get allow yourself it's so easy these days to become so distracted that you don't have to think you're not forced to think about more important things because we just skim the surface on facebook and and netflix all day long and we never go deeper into life's meaning so yes that's number one so number two um derision how do you know if if i'm a derisive person i think you much more simple (laughs) in this one maybe you probably know uh but but Again, make it real practical. Your blood pressure also spikes, but it's not because you're trying to change the topic. It's because you view this as an opportunity to go off, right? Like you, um, you've been waiting for somebody to bring up Jesus because oh, I got some, I got some things to tell you about Jesus and his followers. Yeah, yeah. So um, or like mockery, contemptuousness, uh, ridicule. The soldiers, the soldier of the example. Mm-hmm. They spit on him. They hated this man, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and there are probably people in your life who, there are people in my life certainly, who really don't like Jesus. And even my father. Um, 
he says some aggressive things about Christ because of some issues in the Catholic Church. Um, my dad is derisive towards Christ. He has nothing, doesn't want to do with him, doesn't really talk about him, doesn't make a decision about him, actively stays away from it, and would ridicule ridicule people of faith uh, sometimes. So he's since learned and has become just ambivalent, which is a good direction. It is. Yeah. Trending in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I, I hopefully. And I, I think that that's a, the, the important thing to keep in mind with people in this category that we know and love in our lives is that, you know, again, like we said in the sermon, they don't know what they're doing. You know, your dad and responding that way doesn't know. And he doesn't know who he's rejecting. He, you know, so often people, and this is, you know, they're, uh, we want to take seriously um, the criticisms of people from outside the church. I mean, to a certain extent, you know, we, we know that, um, it is incumbent on us as followers of Christ. I mean, we are claiming His name, and we should not. That's really what the you know the the commandments about not uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Really, what it, what that means in, in the Old Testament is the idea of taking the name's Lord lightly. It's like we should feel the weight of if I'm going to self-identify as a Christian and and claim that label and be identified with Christ. All of a sudden, there should be a, a whole another another level of responsibility and weight given to the way in which I bear His name, and so we should absolutely, you know, lead with, uh, um, in in some ways, I would say, uh, you know, apologizing for yeah, some or, of the injustices that the church has been. I mean, again, currently it's the sexual yeah. abuse scandal in the church, and all these things that like people lump together with the name of Jesus that we should be sorrowful for mm-hmm. as his followers. Like we're, we, we are saddened that that is their impression of the church. And yet we know that it's oftentimes like it's more personal. It's because they themselves were a victim, um, you know, yeah. of, of abuse in some way by, by a Christian. And so we want to be sensitive to that and, you know, like looking for opportunities to in to dig deeper, to go deeper, to go deeper personally, yeah. I mean, literally plug yeah. for the podcast, but like to go deeper, um, in these conversations and get beneath yeah. the surface. Okay. I, I hear that you hate the church, but, but why really? And, um, you know, I'm, I'm here like I, n- not because I'm poking at you and, and probing, but like, because I care about you and I, I care about your perception of Jesus because he's the greatest thing in my life. And I think he could be the greatest thing in your life and I want him to be. Yeah. And so can we talk about that more? Derision can be aggression based on hatred or like just for no reason because they don't agree with it because they think religion is stupid. And that can, the book of Psalms says, only fools don't believe in God. Mm. Um, uh, the fool says in their heart there is no God. Um, this derision can be aggressive or it can come from, like Will said, a place of trauma. Yeah. So if you do have a friend who's, who is experienced derision and does not does not like jesus i think the best thing that you can do for him is just be hospitable yeah like invite him in to be their friend like don't make winning souls the agenda make understand that christ would want to be the friend of people and that you are more motivated and looking like christ when you just want to be people's friends who are different than you and hopes they see jesus as opposed to just converting them and then dropping off the face of the earth yeah people can usually smell an ulterior motive from a mile away um yeah I think that's good. So third category is supporter. How do I know if I'm merely a supporter of Jesus rather than a true devotee? Um, I think it's when 
physiologically, your, your blood pressure actually doesn't go up here. Um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of in this category, I think it's, it's necessarily the same as, um, you know, someone bringing up a topic of, of sending your kids to private schools. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, that's not, that doesn't get my blood pressure boiling because, um, you know, I'm, I, I've sent my kids to private school, had a good experience. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. You know, I've got some I'm experience some experience with that, but it's it's not personal. Um, you know, it's it's not. Yeah, it's uh, you know I, I I I it's for me it's it's like pulling for the Cardinals. Like someone brings up the Cardinals, and I'm a supporter. I'm generally in favor of them. Like I I'm never gonna cry if they don't make the playoffs or win the World Series, but. You know, I I go to the game. I'm a casual fan, um, but nothing about the Cardinals is going to get my heart rate up, um, really. And so, that's that's I think kind of how you know if you're in in that category is like I the way that in in the way that you sense it when you're talking to someone is there's a general there's a general sort of unspoken maybe even spoken sometimes kind of understanding you're picking up on that like they think we're on the same team because I'm generally in favor of Judeo-Christian values or I was raised in the church and I've walked away from it you know just I mean I didn't even walk away from it I just I just don't go as much anymore but really that's just I don't go because yeah um but but they still think of themselves as a churchgoer and identify as a Christian and all those things they're just not active in their faith being a supporter can look a lot like ambivalence it can um but an ambivalent person, uh, probably. So here's here's what I was thinking when I heard supporter. A supporter is somebody who would put the bumper sticker on their car, but not go to the polls and vote. Yeah. Like they would say, "I am for this candidate," but they would never go and show the action to do that. That's good. That is somebody who's a supporter. That's good. Um, it's like they have a vote for whatever on their on their car. Yeah. But they're not gonna show up at the polls the day of, and yeah. we can come back to that when we talk about what it means yeah. to be devoted to a cause. They, they might not even put the bumper sticker on. I mean that, you know, because that takes a little bit of effort. But they would tell you, you know, yeah, I support, I support them. Like in passing, like it's just there's not gonna be any effort given to it. Yeah. But like, yeah. oh, sure, sure, that's great. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, you we're on you. the same page, right? Yeah, yeah. you do you. So, yeah, it's easy to think that supporter and ambivalence sound so similar because there is some overlap, but yeah. they are distinct. Yeah, I think I think the ambivalent person wants to avoid the conversation. The supporter doesn't worry about the conversation because they think we're saying the same we're on the thing. Same team, man. Yeah, we're we're batting on the same yeah. team. Um, the spectator uh, loves the conversation. I mean, the, the the blood pressure might get up a little bit again, but in an exciting way, in a, in a positive way. I I want to engage in this conversation because I I'm really curious about these things, or I feel like I know some things about these these things. Um, I I didn't end up putting this in the the sermon because um, because for sake of time, but I'd say 95% of people that I went, well, that's unfair. I don't know people's hearts. Most of the people that I went to divinity school with at Vanderbilt Divinity School were spectators because they loved a good theological discussion. They all went to church, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they got wasted on the weekends and um, before that, you know, and showed up hungover. But they they were they were spectators. They they loved you know a good theological discussion. Um, they they loved being a part of a community and the idea of faith and whatever. But they were certainly not committed to Jesus. I mean, they were they were not they were not following Jesus um, in the way that we see the women at the foot of the cross and the way that we see Joseph of Arimathea 
the way we see Jesus' disciples outside of Mark 15. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a that's a spectator. Yeah, and you there's a there's a book. Um, Kyle Eidelman wrote a book, pretty famously well known, called "Not a Fan." Yeah. And the whole the whole thrust of the book is saying like, stop being a fan, stop cheering from the section if you're on the team to get on yeah. the field. Yeah. Um, tons of sports analogies. Yeah. But it's just like. A spectator is going to watch, oh, well, it's like, I'm going to, maybe, and this is maybe isn't a fair one-to-one, but say, I will support missions, I won't go on missions. Yeah. Like, I will, I will say, I will, like, I'll, I'll give you money to go to youth group, but I will not volunteer at youth group. That, yeah. That's just like, it's like, I'm, I'm doing, like, maybe a, a base, supporters can be Christians, obviously, I don't know their hearts, but that, um, when Jesus asks a person to follow him, it would be, Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Yeah. What are the examples in your life or how you're following Jesus? And I would ask this to myself, exemplify someone who's died yeah. to themselves yeah. and is now fully invested in this Jesus character and this, this kingdom this kingdom, and making that kingdom a better place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's good. That's good. And I think the difference between a supporter and a spectator, again, is the supporter is like me with the Cardinals. I follow tangentially at best. I mean, I get free free tickets, so I'll go to you know a couple games a season. Mm-hmm. But I'm generally not in the stadium. Like I generally could not tell you at any given time what their record is. The spectator can tell you the record. I mean, the spectator's there for every game. You know, they're 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 into it. But again, they're still on the sidelines. They're a fan, um, as opposed to realizing this thing that Jesus calls us into. Like Donnie said is to call to come and die so that we can be used for his kingdom purposes and be put to work and be on the team and yeah not just have strong opinions at a members meeting about you know our budget but like actually be giving to the budget that you're having such strong opinions about and i think i that that sounds like i've got someone in mind with that i don't uh i think westillians in general are, are great with this but we've got some spectators we do i mean we've got some people who, yeah. who have opinions but don't actually serve mm-hmm. and don't actually give and so we all we all need points of conviction on this uh, from time to time mm-hmm. so that's a spectator acknowledger um I, I think is is someone who uh, whose blood pressure um, doesn't go up necessarily when conversations of, of faith and Christianity come up and that's because they're, they've become so desensitized to it like the Christian faith has become domesticated for them um, and because they they think if, if their blood pressure goes up at all, it's because they're still thinking of Christianity as like an intellectual quiz that they have to pass. And like, I have to prove at life group that I know as much as the others or, you know, whatever, that I'm a part of the team. But it's, it's really, yeah, it's just, it's about, it's about, faith has become about signing off on uh, checking the right boxes, the right doctrinal doctrinal truths and so I know the right things about Jesus the Sunday school answers um, but but is my heart in it it's a it's a head heart disconnect um, so that's that's you know physiologically if 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 you I'll, I'll make it real practical come to our Good Friday services Friday if you can come to the Good Friday service and watch clips from the Passion of the Christ about Jesus dying as you listen to us, retell the story as you sing songs about as you take the lord's supper and are reminded of of what he did on the cross if you can come and it doesn't do anything to you emotionally you're probably an acknowledger yeah or 
Um, I would say an acknowledger is also somebody who is maybe more relative. They believe that truth exists um, in relation to culture. Um, so it's like I acknowledge what you're saying about Christ. That's fine. That's your truth. Yeah. Or I acknowledge what you're saying about your gender, your sexuality. That's fine. I acknowledge it. That's your truth. Um, they're they seem like they're really willing to keep um, the affirmation of anybody's values at the forefront without ever having to explore the truth of those values. Um, relativism is obviously self-defeating. Well, it could right? be. Well, I was going to say, um, you could potentially be acknowledging of Christ, you know, the Christian sort of worldview and truth claims um, and be a relativist, but I think, you know, uh, that that may even be more of a supporter who would say, you know, I, I support your, sure. your, yeah, your right to, to believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. I think to me, the acknowledger to make the point more strongly is, I mean, the centurion said this man was the son of God. I mean, he, he was not just saying that, you know, I, I think that and you might not think that. I mean, I think he was making an absolute truth claim and, and we're, you know, I think what we see Mark doing here in this passage is raising the bar even higher to say, it's not just about absolute truth claims. The demons, the demons acknowledge the absolute truth claims about Jesus. The demons know that he's the son of God. So it's just the fact that the centurion does, the fact that, you know, you sitting in the pews, uh, acknowledge and, and sign off and, and believe in your head the, the right things about Jesus. That's not what Je- Jesus is not ultimately just after our minds again, your whole heart, whole mind, whole strength, whole soul. So, yeah, I think that's the the difference there um, between trying to drill down to acknowledge. Do I just acknowledge, or am I devoted? Am I am I a worshiper of Jesus? And so that's where I, to me, I, I don't know how else really to describe it other than to say what happens in your heart as you have. Um, evangelistic conversations with unbelievers and you walk away from it like knowing either like that this is someone who if they if they if they died tonight like seem like they would go to hell or someone who you know just came to the lord like does that i mean i mean paul and i uh after after um the service yesterday um you know we had we had a a, a, a an attender of the church come up and tell us like i I'm ready to get off the fence. I'm ready to get on the team and to get in the game. And, um, you know, followed up, had him for dinner, had a conversation about it. Like, if that, if, if meeting with, with unbelievers and hearing them come closer to Jesus, again, if that doesn't do something for you personally in your heart, because you know what, what Christ has done for you, and you know, you understand, not just in your head, but in your heart, um, the eternal implications of heaven and hell and all of that, um, then that's, you know, that, that, that should be a point of conviction for us. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think Will said it well. Like, you can just say, Jesus, truly this man is the Son of God. That's not a... Which leads to the next point. You can say these things and you can acknowledge these things, but devoted looks much differently. And I'm going to let Will explain that as we kind of wrap up now at the end. Yeah, what does it look like, sound like, when you have these conversations about Jesus? Does it sound like you're talking about um, an abstract truth? Does it sound like, uh, you know, you're trying to, to pass a theological quiz? Or does it sound like the way that 
you described your future spouse, your now spouse, to your best friends when y'all first met in college. Like when, after your first date and you got on the phone or you got together with your best friends and you started talking about like how excited you were. And, and that's what, you know, to go back to the revelation thing um, and where, where John um, and, and the prophetic sort of thing to the seven churches and he talks to the church about, you know, you've, you've left, you've lost your first love. You know, I think that's, that's what we want as, as devotees, as worshipers of Jesus. We don't want to lose and, and leave behind our first love. Like we, we want, that's why we, you know, the, the Lord's Supper that we've given attention to and, um, you know, and just in coming to, to church, expecting to hear from the Lord and expecting to have our, our attention drawn back to the gospel. And not just because, uh, you know, we want to be evangelistic for people who really need it, but like we need the gospel. I need the gospel every day. I need to be reminded of these truths. Um, and so, yeah, in the same way that you want to like, you know, we talk about it. <laughs> Like dating your wife, you know, if you've been married like like I have for ten years now, and you want to like um, keep the the romance of the relationship or whatever, um, you know, what does it mean? And again, bad analogy, not not a perfect analogy. We don't date Jesus; he's not your boyfriend. Um, it's it's different, <laughs> yeah. but but from an emotional standpoint, Jesus should do something in and to our hearts that isn't completely dissimilar from falling in love you know, with someone. Um, and so what does it mean to rekindle that love for him in worship in devotion, you know, weekly, daily, you know, minute to minute, um, to die to yourself, to, to live for him because you know how good he is and because how, how worthy he is of, of your love and devotion. A good question, a good metric as we kind of leave you, um, give it, a one to ten kind of thing, and I, I have this question. I ask it to my journal whenever I open it. I see it, and it's, well, how lovely is Jesus to you today? Mm. And do your actions reflect that? Mm. Um, I should, if I'm if I'm understanding who Christ is and His life and His death and His sacrifice on the cross, then I should have compelling actions that show that I really, really take this guy seriously. Yeah. Um, and good. I would say one of those things is inviting other people to come yeah, and know him. That's good. Um, which is going to lead us into this week. We have three services coming up, and we're going to be talking specifically about the hope of the gospel that is found in Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. And yeah. you have friends in your life who don't know the gospel, and I do too. I've invited a few of them, and I hope they come. Good. Um, but that a devoted person tells people about Jesus. Yeah. That's the whole book of Acts. Yeah. Um, but we, Bring yeah, we have spent a lot of time on this, six points, just kind of going through it. If you have more questions about this, feel free to approach Pastor Will uh, or me, Donnie, the Director of Student Ministry and Media. Um, but until next time, next week, we will see you. Thanks for being here, Pastor Will. Thank you, Donnie. That was episode four of the Going Deeper podcast. Pastor Will and I would be remiss if we didn't remind you that this coming Sunday is Easter. We have three opportunities to join together in worship this week. On April 19th, we have our Good Friday service at 7 p.m. at West Hills. And on Sunday, April 21st, we have two services at 9 a.m. and 11. And in between, we're gonna have an egg hunt for families from 1015 to 1045. 
It's going to be a really awesome morning, and we hope to see you there with all of the people that you invited. And, as always, thank you for joining us as we go deeper.